Welcome, everybody, to the Race Tech Privateer Island Life number 20 podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. People love these things each and every week. Touching, touching, talking, reaching out, not touching. That'd be weird. Touching a privateer each and every week on this show. Uh, find out what they're up to, what they're doing, what's going on, and everything else. And uh, for this week, something a little different, a little special uh, for you people uh, to talk to uh, a little bit of a guy who lived that life for a long time. But first... Pulp MX-17 is the code to save at Racetech. Uh, since 1984, Racetech has been an innovator in motorcycle suspension technology. They break through the limits of the OEM designs, and they specialize in high-performance suspension parts, service, and setups. Uh, discover why more top privateers trust Racetech and mention Pulp MX-2017 to get a special listener discount on suspension or motor needs or whatever, anything else that Racetech has. Uh, thanks to those guys. Mike Alessi uses Racetech. Uh, Cody Gilmore uses Racetech. Uh, a t- ton of pro- top privateers use Racetech. And, uh, again, thanks to those guys for coming on. So this is Privateer Island Life, and nobody knows more about privateer island life living than this guy who held a bunch of national numbers in the USA and uh, lived in a van, whether it's a Fox van or a Ford Econoline van, for for many years uh, traveling the circuit. It's always fun to catch up to him. Jason Fernet, what's up, Fernet? How are you, man? Well, I think things have turned full circle, Steve. When I met you in 96, you were just trying to get into the industry via Shane Drew, like you've talked about before. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of stumbled upon, because apparently you, me and you have raced together a handful of times before the four Manitoba titles, or maybe you already uh, had one. Uh, nope, nope. Before I got any of those four titles, you and I were, were battling, yes. Oh, okay, and you still remind me of the Arena Cross was it Brandon? Brandon in 87. Yep, Brandon Arena Cross 1987. Yeah, exactly. So from that time forward, it almost seems like when you met me, I was a struggling privateer, national number 63, and you're looking for a job, and you just, me and you were both kind of uh, hobos. Yep. And uh, then we kind of grew this friendship for over a decade mm-hmm. until basically, uh, yeah, I had to get a real life and a job. But the privateer life, uh, I think, from what it, what, what it is now to compared to what it was in the, er, the late 80s to 2000s, yeah. it's changed a little bit, but it's still the struggles and the same basic concept, eh? Yeah, you know what? Nowadays, uh, Fernet, nobody... Uh very, I don't think there's anybody that drives to all the races like you and I did, and like Heath Voss did, and uh, well, Voss was flying, but you know what I mean. Um, Kyle Lewis, Triple X, uh, Watson, those guys were driving to each and every race, indoors and out. And I did it too. You did it too. Nowadays, the, there's nobody that does that. There's no box fans that go to every race and hang out during the week or anything like that. Like there used to be the, the shadow. Ted Campbell was another guy that would follow us around. Hart for a little while also. Um, now these guys all pay a service to for Teddy Parks to take their bikes to the races and they fly in and, and sometimes they travel, but very few. Those days are over now, man. When people people in the sport want to say about the privateers, the privateers, well, it's not really any privateers like there used to be anymore. Well, and that's the thing. Like like I said, we've come full circle. Now me and you, we were so close when we were in earlier not careers, well, just trying to make things going on. Mm-hmm. But now that you have Pulp Nation and everything exploded, I hear of a lot of the privateer uh, profiles 
and I I can only I guess listen to it, but yeah, a lot of these privateers they they're flying in and out, mm-hmm. which is great because services like that back well back when I was you know trying to live the dream, it would have been a, a huge well. You know, I would never trade anything for the life I had, and uh, and you've experienced a lot. You same with you. You had, I guess, you're walking uphill both ways, yeah. snow three <laughs> foot deep. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. You know, when you talk about that, I know a lot of times you say, "Well, back in the day," but I guess as progression lives on as it grows, that's just the reality of life, right? Yeah, you. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's just it. It's it's not good. It's not bad. It's not better. It's not worse. It's the way it is, and and that's it. There's just, I'll I'll never trade those times of, um, you know, going with you and working on the bike during the week. We were trying to find a track for you to ride. We went to the gym together. Believe it or not, people. Uh, we lived in a field in Reddick, ate at Kenny Rogers Roasters every night, and then showered at gyms. Um, I'll never, you know forget those times those those are great and they just don't happen anymore guys don't do that anymore well and you know what steve the only thing like i say i'm kind of kind of living by vicariously through when i was in my 20s but now it just seems like you know what and i i don't want to pump adam antonap any more than he is but (laughs) he gets a lot of pump bro personality (laughs) right yeah you know he actually has Something now, if social media is so prevalent that that guy's grasping onto it, and you know what, a lot of these privateers, they're struggling, they're making it happen, their families are sacrificing. But mm-hmm. I don't know if it's homeschooling or what it is, but it's almost like they don't have maybe the personalities via life experiences as maybe once before. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, it was a fun time. Although Frenette, I should mention. By the way, did you ever use Race Tech? I did actually. I used Race Tech in earlier, like back probably nineteen nineties. Just when I was getting into going to AMA racing and stuff like that, that I used uh, Paul Steed's Race Tech and his simple old gold valve. Uh, invention i had a guy in calgary that mm-hmm. was a local race tech dealer and he installed it into my bike and yeah, there we go good. good good glad to hear um by the yeah. way we'll go back to that that 87 arena cross so you waltz in from alberta and you just think you're hot shit because you just mm-hmm. won the 80 expert canadian amateur title so basically the loretta's of canada you won uh the 80 expert thing and i finished I don't know, like 12th or something. So you waltz in like you're just the king shit uh, to come into my province to take uh, all the money. And uh, and you did. You won. And I got second. And I will never forget, Fernet, you had the tightest fox, white fox pants on. And we were all making fun of you. I just want you to know that. All of my local Manitoba buddies were laughing at this kid who thought he was so good with the tight fox pants. I think that's probably the 13th time you remind me of that. But you know what? I don't remember that memory. You know what I mean? Well, because. I remember going yeah. there, you know, spending my my mom's money to go there. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think I went with uh, Troy Ritchie because we're yeah. Team Turple locally. But uh, you know what? The four Manitoba titles, 
When did they happen? We're going to elaborate into this. Uh, 90, in, in, 90 and 91. So two titles a year. Okay. Because I'd already been venturing off doing, doing AMA Supercrosses just yeah. here and there because I wasn't good enough. Right? What, so, hey, what's funny, eight, what's, what's funny, though, about you? So 87, in the fall of 87, you are racing 80 expert against me in Brandon, right? In yeah. 19, In the winter of 99... You are making 125 Supercross main events. <laughs> well, and you know what? I don't have much claim to fame. And you'd have to, and I was thinking about this because I don't have many bragging rights, trust me. And you know that, other than off the track bragging rights, which, you know, isn't what we can tell right now. But right. I actually, in the fall of 88, I was intermediate. And in November of 88, I turned 16, uh-huh. and January of 89, I actually drove down to California on winter vacation, and I took an extra two weeks off because, uh, I mean, I was going to public school, so we just blew two weeks off. You, you know how that was, right? Mm-hmm. So you can maybe look in the vault, not that anybody cares, but I might have the bragging rights that I may be the youngest Canadian to make a main event, either 125 West or East, or even 250 main, when I was 16 in November to January. So Yeah, January uh, 28th, 89, you make Anaheim main event. Rick Simmett is right behind you, and Sean Wynn is right in front of you, and five spots in front of you in 89 is some guy named Jeremy McGrath on a Honda. <clears throat> Well, exactly. And that's the funniest thing is, like, obviously, I was just a mediocre, decent privateer back in the day. And, I, you know, I lived, I lived the dream for 10 years, and you know how I did it, sleeping in couches, showering after even making 250 or 250cc main events out of, like, a 20 or a five-gallon jug. You had and, that. Uh, you had that one portable shower jug for every... 10 years that I hung out with you. Five, well, six years. We hung out from 96 until probably 03 when you started going off the deep end. Uh, so that's that's seven years. And you had that same blue jug you would shower with outside of your van. Well, you know what? I never in the, the whole span that you knew me, Steve, I don't think you ever knew me to check into a hotel and actually pay for a hotel. I would bum showers as I'm sleeping in my van, you know? Yep. No, I don't think you really, yeah, I don't think, I I bought you some rooms here and there, but yeah, I don't think you ever paid for a room. Yeah. You you know, between, and that's the thing, is that since I was kind of living the privateer life, or ultimately, when I hear about the 90s motocross era, from actually living it because people see the actual superstar's life, but I think I'd probably rattled that for the, for a privateer's life, probably more than anybody in that era. I don't know if you can dispute that or not. Yeah. Who knows? I, I, I might agree with that. I, I would, I would agree with that. Um, you had your Ford Econoline with no air conditioning forever. And that thing was so packed. God, there was like an art to loading that thing for net. You had to like everything had a spot. It was great. Um, well, hold on though. Well, not, well hold okay. on, hold on. So, um, 
And then uh, the next two weeks later, you ride Seattle, and you again make the main event. And you get 13th this time behind Vince Warren and right ahead of Eric Hilton, who I used to live with when I, went, when I hung out with Birdwell. Um, and you were four spots behind some guy named Daryl Martins also. So another friend of mine. And, uh, but you did beat Larry Ward and Mike Craig. There's something must have happened to them. Anyway, well, um, yeah, that's privateer life right there. Yeah, you know what? I was having to go back to high school. So that was kind of after the, the whole month break from two weeks off Canadian uh, uh, winter, a Christmas vacation. So we're on our way back to uh, Seattle, um, just me and uh, two other uh, young guys, no parents or nothing involved. And uh, I still got a picture of that because, like you said, I'm on the very outside. I got 13th that night, but I still have a picture in 89 when Jeremy McGrath was number 125 on that Honda. Yep. You know, Yep. I've, I definitely do have, a, like, from 89 to 2003, I definitely have a lot of uh, stories and just, just seeing different people coming up through the ranks and me wishing I could progress as much as they did, but still being alive in that era, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, although this is a privateer island life podcast, I've talked to, you know, Entignap and Henry Miller and, and, uh, Town and LaFontaine and, and, and Austin Colba and all these guys that, that are privateers. Um, you got your shot though, Fernet. People don't realize this. This is something that I tell people this and they're like, really? So you got your shot in 97 um, on Manchester Honda, Damon Bradshaw's team. Robbie Skaggs was uh, on the team, got hurt, and somehow you got the spot. You were riding 250 Nationals, and you were, you were finishing just outside the top 10 a lot of times. Every week getting points, though, doing pretty well, uh, although your thumb was forever jacked from 1996 at Red Bud. Um, so you got this shot at Manchester Honda with Dave, Damon Bradshaw as your teammate on a slow CR125. It didn't go so well for Ned, but for, for a glorious, what, two months? You were factory? I was, yeah. You know, that's a funny story is that, uh, like you said, I was riding privateer on a KX250, and uh, after Robbie got hurt, he had to get some, uh, he had to get a plate out of his uh, tibia and uh, some hardware out. So a mutual friend, friend of ours, was a truck driver turned into mechanic oh, on did, Manchester. Did Delorier, on Man- Delorier got you that job? I never knew that. Okay. You never knew that. Okay, no. well, Paul Delorier actually started wrenching for Damon Bradshaw quarterway through the season. And, uh, yeah, he put the recommendation in um, to, I guess, uh, Ziggy that owned um, Factory Connection uh-huh. and uh, – at the early stages before uh, for guy, the, the guy Kilhani team. But, yeah, I actually, uh, at uh, Bud's Creek, Maryland, I actually finished up the race, and Paul and uh, Ziggy came over and said, are you interested in uh, riding for uh, Robbie Skaggs for a handful of races? How do, you, got back? how do you think they found you in the privateer pits? <laughs> how far back did they have to go? I don't know, you know, I only can thank Paul for that because he's Canadian or, you know, is Canadian. And you know what? They had to probably crawl and beat their way through the, uh, the savages to get back to my van, you know, (laughs) do you, um, (laughs) 
remember our theory on Paul though. I don't know if we've ever told him our theory on Paul. So Paul was a mechanic with Alan Brown on the KTM team. And they worked for Amaradio and Demand, maybe when they were fighting. I don't know on Washugo, I'm not sure. But um, then they yeah. worked for KJSC for a while. So Paul got a job as a truck driver for the Manchester Honda team for Bradshaw. And Bradshaw had a mechanic. And then apparently they went riding. Paul and the mechanic went riding. And the guy broke his femur. And we always accused Paul of like pressuring him to like jump a jump or something so Paul could get the gig because he got the gig with Bradshaw as he was back as a mechanic and then he went right into Larocco and he had a nice career working for so many great riders, winning so many races, but he was out of the gig driving a truck for a while until he made this guy do some jump and break his femur. That was our theory for net. Well, and you know what? Not only is that, but you imagine going from being Canadian, getting into industry, like you say, moving around, getting a truck driver, and then having to wrench for Damon Bradshaw, which at that time isn't going to be an easy job being VM mechanic to work for him. Mm-hmm. Then switching to Mike LaRocco, that's pretty two big, big games, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, what What do you remember about being teammates with Bradshaw? I mean, what, <laughs> what, was, what was it like? Well, obviously, uh, you know what? The age difference wasn't a big thing because he was around my same age. Maybe I was a year younger, but mm-hmm. it was just that that superstar, just the Damon Bradshaw persona and what you've always heard about him. But to be actually in the same truck as him, and this was before the semis, it was just... Yeah, it was a straight truck, um, yeah. It was a straight truck. So one of the funniest stories I ever had was when we're in Southwick, and I'm struggling on that CR125 being 185 pounds, but I thought this is my shot to make the the next step. And it was legitimately, it was, but it didn't turn out. But I remember going in and trying to have a nap, in the truck, and then Damon Bratch come in and just cussing and going, son of a bitch, who's in this goddamn truck? <laughs> and uh, basically, I just jumped up and, like, scooted out of there. But, you know, he, Damon Bradshaw, I would never want to be a nemesis of him because right. I was nowhere near his skill. Yeah. But he, he had that intimidation factor. But the funny thing is, is that I had a friend that was a cattle rancher that came down, and just Damon was the biggest, like, he, him and this guy just talked about farming, being hillbillies, whatever it was, but he had no time of day for me, and then when Robbie came back, he had no time of day for him oh, either. No. It was just the weirdest thing, you know? But the cattle rancher guy, all day for him, all the time in the world for cattle rancher guy. Oh, there was no problem. He was. Just, <laughs> I was just thinking, what am I doing wrong? Like I wasn't kissing his butt, but um, you know what, Damon? I think that was '97. That was kind of he retired, came back into the scene, and uh, yeah, the cattle rancher, him rounding up cattle or putting up a fence, that was way more interesting. And asking Damon, you know, how fast to do this, like the story you've told before. I was asking Damon, how fast are you hitting that jump? He's like, it's not fast enough, it's for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, there was this thing about you asking him for advice for a jump, right? And he just said, like, you can't do it or something? What was he saying? Well, yeah, 
I, I, I forget the whole thing, but it wasn't politically correct. He, he let me know that I'm not going to do this jump, but I was asking about a section and I asked him how hard he's hitting it. And, you know, Demon Browser, he is a legend in the sport, but yeah, he didn't want to give me any advice on that. I'll tell you that. Also, too, to be fair to you, a 97, 97 CR125, it was not very good. It was it was not that fast, was it? The bike wasn't very good. Well, in that, well, that's a thing. And I don't know if I ever told you this, Steve, but after Bud's Creek, the next round, I think there was a weekend off, mm-hmm. and then South Southwick, right? Yep. So Manchester Honda was based out of uh, Connecticut. So as soon as I knew that I was going to have the ride, they had this test day at Southwick, and this is before the national, so they, they rented the track. Yep. So I. I drive all the way there and my little Ford Atalion van with all my Kawasaki's in the back. Well, not all of them, two of them, you know. And we get there, and they've got their little rig out there, and they've got the mechanics and everything. And so, of course, being a privateer and never having that attention Mm -hmm. or that kind of maybe a test other than send your suspension in or engine, here you go, run it. Um they're, they get this 125 going. They set up my bars and everything. So first time I've ever, no, second time I've been to Southwick, but on a 125. First lap, there's pressure. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone's so, watching you, yeah. Yeah. First lap on the CR125, slow as heck. I get on the track, uh, and I'm just wide open for me. And I remember coming over one jump, and nobody was even around us in the back section. I don't know if it was out of, uh, it wasn't, where did you go in the, f- the, the, the fish pond? What was that frog called pond. again? Yeah, frog pond. The frog pond. I yep. come out of that. I'm going down a straightaway in a bog dummy, very first top of the day, and I yard sailed it. <laughs> and I remember I bent the bars, I bent the subframe, I tweaked the silencer, they're probably all, like, waiting for me to do warm-up lap or whatever. And 15 minutes later, I pick myself up and ride back to the truck, and they're just looking at me, what? But there's a lot of pressure on a guy yeah. with uh, no mechanic, no nothing. I'm just by myself, you know, some kid from Canada just living a dream, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's awesome. It's the one time that you were not a, fact- or not a privateer hero. You were full factory. One time. Well, yeah, for full factory at that short distance. So Robbie came back, right. and uh, there was a lot of internal um, commotion on that team, not with the mechanics, but uh, you know, there was there was an individual that was stirring up uh, a little bit of trouble. So I mean, there was not a bunch of chaos, but there yeah, yeah. there was one individual that kind of was stirring up some stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so, hey, let me ask you this. So all your years as a privateer and, and, and again, making main events and national number 63, national number 65. Um, what was, don't, for, don't forget 55, 55, Steve. I'm sorry. I apologize. 55 as well. Um, I got to have some bragging rights. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still have any of your old jerseys and gear and anything like that or no? Yeah, no, I do. Actually, I have a bunch hanging up in uh, in my shop back home in Canada. Oh, sweet. Um, you know, reliving the memories. And uh, um, and that's a funny thing. I think I thought I gave you something back in the day. 
Um, from when uh, me and Rich Taylor was one of the first moose motocross riders, but obviously you don't have anything on your wall at at I, your studio. I don't. No, I, I don't remember getting anything ever. Wow, but, what, what a dick well, I am. Well, me and you have a, a longer history than probably most people know, except for in our little time. But uh, you know, we've had a lot of lot of mutual friends, and uh, I, me and you, mutual friends with Ty Birdo, and uh, and Ty still to this day. I wish I had his number so I could call him. Maybe he can give it to me, but. We've had a lot of good times and a lot of good memories over there, have yeah. we not? Oh, yeah. It's been fun. So well, let me ask you this. In all your years, and this is this is a big answer because it could cover many things, but what, as a privateer back in the day, what would have made your life so much easier? Like, I mean, I know you can wave the wand and just say a salary or whatever, but you did the driving, you did the wrenching, you did, you exercise, you found gym, gyms on the road, you practiced and everything else. Like what would have made your life easier? Do you think looking back on it, like a mechanic or, 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 or what, or, or, or what about a home base and then have a mechanic on the road? Would that have been better? What would have been, what would, what would have made your life way easier? Well, you know what, as you reflect, as you get older in life and you live, you your dream that you wanted, every kid wants to be a factory rider, and that percentage is maybe 5% of the people. Right. And uh, you know what? I can pinpoint that thing down to a specific weekend, to a specific lap, and uh, it would have been 96, uh-huh. and I was still running, I believe, 15th in the, in the 250 National Series, and... Uh, it was red, but actually, and I was all by myself, no mechanic, nobody even helping me out for the weekend. Mm-hmm. So, um, this is the old system when we used to have, and you remember this Friday practice. Yep. Saturday, we used to go to the hotel and do the sign it, sign up and tech. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday we raced and, uh, by the way, but sorry to interrupt you, but when you had no mechanic and you were getting 12th and 13th in motos, um, would you just tell a factory rider to hold your bike while you packed your gate? <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't. I don't think that was the case. No, it was. Uh, hey, uh, Albie, hold my bike. <laughs> yeah, you know what? They probably looked at me every time. You know, outdoor outdoor nationals wasn't a problem to make the forty man no. field back when I was serious. You know, but. When I was making 250 Supercross, and I'm lining up, and I specifically remember the first 250 main event because that was the premier class before uh-huh. the 450 CC, right? Yeah. And I just remember nobody packing my gate. I remember just standing there, and I just remember, and I didn't think I made it because obviously making one, you know, the first 250 CC main event, but... I know every privateer who's listening to this, if they, the first premier main event, you're sitting there before you're sighting laps, mm-hmm. and you're looking at all the people in the stands, and you're just like, you're kind of in shell shock, and you're actually looking down the line. I've heard you talk, talk about this before, uh, even with Adam Knapp, him kind of making, you know, bullshit with people. That was me. I was just... 
I was just so grateful and just in shell shock that I was part of this yeah. whole thing with my little yeah. um, program that I had, you know? Yeah, but you, you're not answering the question. How would you pack your gate? Well, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nobody's going to be holding my no, If I'm by myself Nobody's going to hold my bike back But we're going to go back to the previous question About what, what would yeah, help Yeah, tell me Okay, so Red Bud, by yourself Alright, get back to that Okay, so I'm by myself No Friday practice First time I've been on the track And I'm still 15th in the 250cc outdoor point mm-hmm. And I go up there for first practice didn't have a chance to walk the track or anything. And it was muddy that day. And within half of practice of the first practice, I did every jump except for Loraco's leap. Yep. But, you know, I just, I, I never did, did that jump. I didn't know, how, like, I was really naive. So I come back to the pits and I'm panicking because I didn't feel that I was going that fast. And this was before time practice. You still need to do moto qualifications and uh i asked the mechanic i don't know who was beside me i just said who's doing that big triple in the uh, on that track he's like about 80 percent of the people well i don't know if you remember this back in the day they used to have that middle triple at red butt yeah well of course that's what i like i didn't even think about that because i did that about fourth fifth lap in the practice yeah. so i i thought they were thinking he was saying like 75, 80% of people are doing Loraco's leap. <laughs> and uh, so the very first track, the very first lap of the second practice, I just had in my mind because I was thinking, you know, I'm 15th in the points. And of course, your confidence is riding high. And I just said, screw it. Very first lap of second practice, I'm all by myself. Nobody's watching me or, or can help me. And I just figured, Half three quarters of people are doing this triple. So very first lap, I come out of the uh, left left hand corner and I'm climbing up before Loraco's leap. And I remember shift, shifting up to fourth, and I'm still not really in the need of the power. Uh-huh. And I just said, "Screw it, I'm just sending it." Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as soon as I launch it, I'm like, "Guess oh shit!" <laughs> and uh, I knew I was coming up short, but not quite as short as I thought I was going to come. And I just remember hitting so hard on the, I didn't even case it, but on the face of the jump. And when I yard sailed it, and I did a couple flips, and of course it's 4th of July celebratory weekend there. I just remember getting myself up all muddy, and I looked at my stump, and I thought it was compound fracture. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew the season was, was done, or fairly done, but... Uh, I just, uh, I rode back to the pits and uh, I always remembered that I couldn't afford, or my mom, you know, because I didn't have two parents, so we just couldn't afford to have me do the right program. But uh, I always thought that day was a real pinnacle um, in, in, my, in my small career that if I would have had somebody with me or had some guide, guidance yeah. that... Uh, Maybe that would have changed because, as we know, my son never got fixed properly and it bothered me for yeah, many for, years. Yeah, for you know? a long time. Yeah, it really bothered you, right? For a long time. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, 
You had to get surgery on it, I think, in 98? Did you get surgery eventually? I don't know. Man, you well, had to tape that thing up a bunch. I did a couple. Well, yeah. 96, I was by myself. I left. I had a mechanic. Somebody load my bike in, in the van. I went down to South Bend, Indiana, by myself to the hospital after I got checked up by the medics. And my son was in needed surgery, so... I didn't have the proper medical uh, insurance in the United States, so mm-hmm. by myself, I got in my van and drove to Montreal, which was, I don't know, 12 hours or so, <laughs> and uh, I checked myself in into the hospital by myself, and I remember calling my, my mom, which, you know, was my whole parent base, and uh, she knew what was going on, and I checked myself into the hospital and got surgery, and then she flew out to, to drive me home, you know, 45 hours back to Red to, to where I lived, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, talking to the phone a little bit. You're letting your phone slip down. Um, okay. The Race Tech Suspension Privateer Island Life with Jason Fernet. Pulpamex 17 is the code. Motors, suspension, they've got you covered. Cody Gilmore uh, uses a, a Race Tech suspension. Mike Alessi does too. A whole ton of pros use Race Tech. Austin Koba. And uh, please, uh, please check them out. And uh, thanks to those guys as well. Now, I did a podcast with Fernet uh, a few years back. So if you want to get his sort of career story, Go and search Jason Frenette, F-R-E-N-E-T-T-E, on iTunes or on the Pulpamex app. And I just searched it on the app, and it'll pull up the, the podcast we did that kind of covers your year-by-year story and everything else. So people who are who are new and never heard of this guy on the phone, just do that, and then you can get his career story. So, um, uh, so yeah, it uh, it really would help just to have somebody to like, yeah, hey, the Loraco's Leap, don't jump it. Don't do that. Well, and just um, if I had somebody responsible with me and guided me a little bit here and there, even if it was just a little guidance, I I really think surrounding yourself with positive people and people that want to help you goes a long ways. And uh, most of my career, it was solo, and I, I'm fine with that. I look back on my years, what I did it, and I would never trade for for the life of me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. Tons of stories. Uh, can we talk about when you freaked out because Birdwell was in the hotel room and it was 8,000 degrees in Vegas and we were working on bikes? Well, that's the thing is that <laughs> m- m- most of my friends, like me and you, were pretty near best friends on the road for a few years. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, Ross Miles and whatnot. And, uh, so yeah, when it was uh, 107 degrees on Blacktop uh, behind uh, La Quinta in it uh, in Vegas, and me and you're wrenching on bikes, I'm thinking I have to compete against the uh, yeah. the guys in the uh, air conditioned room. Yeah, I kind of had a freak out. I think I actually threw my tire across yep. the, uh, yeah. the parking lot, and you witnessed a complete mi- breakdown at that just, point. Just an, an absolute meltdown at the fact that you were so hot, you had so much work to do on your bike to get it ready, and then you have to race the next day. And you're just like, he's up in the hotel room. He's just hanging out in the air conditioning. I'm down here. How can I beat these guys? And I'm like, God, dude, calm down. You were, you had a little moment there where you just snapped. Um, well, and you know the worst thing is is that, and I'm going to interrupt you for a yeah, second. Yeah, go ahead. Birdie Ty Birdwell was 
the most giving, you know, Ty kind of had this persona, you know, he had such a personality to him, and but yet, if you were his friend, he would do anything for you, and yeah. you know what? You know that just, you know, being involved with the whole Birdwell family, it just, there's so many people that you look from the outside in and, you know, the Birdwell family and Ty, they were just, I just, yeah, I had, I just lost it. Like you said, there, there, there's no two ways uh, getting around it. I just had a, I had a breakdown in the middle of Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Um, all right. So, Hey, so we, uh, we almost saw a comeback from Jason Fournette for Loretta Lynn's this year, right? You were planning on it. Yeah, I've you know, I just I'm almost I I'm 44 years old. Next year, if I get my shoulder fixed, I'm gonna probably go back. But yeah, I uh, I went through uh, some tough times there in my life, and uh, since I quit racing, I was. Uh, Working uh, the oil fields in, in Canada, and uh, yeah, this year finally I I, I kind of got back into riding the last couple of years, and and I wanted to uh, to do the plus forty and uh, in the plus twenty five class. You know, not big expectations, but yeah. I went down to uh, the regional and for the Northwest, and I got uh, I qualified first in the plus forty and uh, fifth in the plus thirty, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hurt my shoulder just that same weekend and uh, tore my rotator cuff and uh, tore my AC joint again on on one of my bad shoulders. So bummer. Well, that's good though. It's good. It's good to to get back on a dirt bike. And you always love dirt bike riding. Always. I mean, you raced for a long time. You still, you know, you got a couple of tricked out bikes. You spent a lot of money on them. Um, Are you still wearing moose, by the way? I'm not, I'm not, you know, okay. um, you were original, I, you and Rich Taylor, the original moose athletes, uh, suck it, Phil Nicoletti for and Rich Taylor, bringing moose into supercross main events. I got a lot of heat for that back in the day. And you know what? You're already factory. I'm with Timmy Ferry that we all love. And I love Timmy too, but, uh, wait a minute. No, yeah. you do not. You did. You did not love Ferry when you said he disrespected you. By taking a tear off and throwing it in your face in the air over a triple. Well, you know what? But <laughs> you, were really, you know what? You were really, I really, I do really love mad about at him. Tim. I know, and I was mad at a lot of people. I had a lot of hostility back <laughs> in, in that day, even uh, with McGrath uh, calling me a hack rider in uh, New Orleans. And uh, he called, what? He, Wait, I know, don't think I know this story. MC went after you. Well. Uh, you know, I made the the New Orleans main that night, and you remember back in the day before they had Dirtworks had it almost down to a science to make it from. You remember Seattle and all the real ruddy tracks, correct? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I think it was when I was running sixth in the uh, '97 in the semi, and Emig wads himself through the whoops, and that transferred me to fifth in the semi and I made main, but mm-hmm. that night in the main, it was just, it was so ruddy. I was all over the place. Of course, McGrath, I don't know if he won that night or what, yeah. but uh, I was, uh, at the time me and, and his sister were fairly, these, you know, we we're friends and whatnot. And uh, 
after the rumorville, I heard that, uh, you know, he said I was dangerous on the track and blah, blah, blah. And oh. you know how that goes. Oh. When you're a premier rider and then you're running seven, when you're making the main, you're going a lot slow. And it's still yeah. the same to this day. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I just remember that anytime I had a lot of self-pride and whatnot. And so yeah, anytime that I felt somebody disrespected me and I, di- I didn't care if it was a privateer or a factory rider, you I mean, I was going to be upset with it, you know? Yeah. And then Ferry disrespecting you in the air, throwing a tear off at you, it fluttered down into your face, you said. <laughs> yes, but I don't know if you remember this, Steve, but in 97, when you, before the factory days with you and Timmy, when you're wrenching for him at the Nolene, uh, the Nolene days, uh-huh. and we went to Minnesota, Timmy actually, when he was a privateer, getting factory rider, went to privateer before he made yeah. it back yep. to the factory, mm-hmm. he top wrong. Me and him shared a moment. <laughs> And he'll 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 never remember this because that stuff means a lot to this old dog. But he shared top ramen, not the actual. We didn't share it spoon to spoon, kind of like uh, old Yeller. <laughs> no, but, no, uh, no. You know, we shared a moment with uh, eating top ramen in the box van that afternoon before the night show. You know, so oh, I, yeah. I'll always love Tim. No, we had the only thing we had for heat was a little propane heater. And uh, you guys were sitting in the box fan, and I'm changing a clutch in the cold, and you guys are eating top ramen uh, together. I remember that. Um, good times. Uh, uh, thank you for doing this, by the way, Fernet. I appreciate it. So you mentioned a little bit earlier you went through some rough times, and you got back on the dirt bike, and unfortunately you got hurt trying to make it to Loretta's. Um, how are you doing with the rough times? Are we, are we good? How are we doing? I hope we're good. We, <laughs> we are good. You know, um... Do you think some of that? Hey, do you think some of your problems came from racing, in the fact that you had so much adrenaline and so much fun? You you were racing professionally, and you were trying to find that again. Do you think? And you were depressed because you you know you were older and didn't make it, quote unquote. I don't know. Well, playing amateur psychologist here. Yeah, and you know what? (laughs) I tried to pinpoint that because. I went through a lot of rough times uh, from 30 until now, and it cycled back and forth. And uh, when I was 30, I came home to Canada, and I knew my racing was done. I was 30 years old, and uh, and I had to get a real job. And that real job was uh, in an isolated uh, until we got, got our ice roads in for four months. But, uh, yeah, you know what? It was really hard for me because with – all my minimum accomplishments in racing, the biggest accomplishments that I ever made was all the relationships I had via sponsors mm-hmm. to you, to whatever. And then uh, when I had to give up that life and and just that whole life was taken for me. And so, you know what? The only thing I can say was a pity party because when I came <laughs> back to Canada, I knew that everything was coming to a halt and I didn't know how to take it. So, you know what? I just, uh, there was some bad reactions that happened. And, uh, I hear about things that, uh, some stories or whatnot, and it's so easy to get depressed 
and not misled, but in the wrong path. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, uh, everybody has their own stories and struggles. I don't care if it's, uh, uh, with addiction or with a bad life, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I probably could write a book about so many situations and people probably think I'm full of it, but you know how I've lived my life. It's, it's all or, or nothing, you know? Yeah, no, you, you did. So we would go out to the after parties and you could not just get pleasantly happy. You had to get just hammered. You, if we went to the gym together, you wouldn't just put in a, 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 a middle of the road exercise. I'd watch you almost kill yourself on the treadmill, you know, same for riding, same for after parties, same for exercise. You were always one of those all or nothing. And I bet you people listening to this have friends like that. We all know people like that where you just, whatever you're doing is to the max. Would you agree with that? Oh, a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, some people can kind of find that 70, 25 or 50, 50. And you know what? I just lived in the moment and I, you know, that's exactly it. When I did something, I couldn't either do it half-ass. I'd have to do it wide open or nothing. And, uh, yeah, you know, later on when you don't have an outlet that's positive, like motocross, and I don't care if you're a kid doing it or an adult doing it, if you have that taken away from you, if you have that personality, mm-hmm. it can really switch really in a heartache. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yep, for sure. There were times... We had a lot of fun on the road. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. But there are other times where I'm like, I got to get away from this guy. Like, I'm not ready to go that hard. I'm good. I'm going to bed, right? Like, <laughs> and you were just, like, not ready. And and I'm just like, oh, boy. Like, he, you know, yeah, just one of those things, man. And it's the personality, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the thing, eh? And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's the thing. I, you mean – that kind of that kind of thing kind of either feeds a person's ego or doesn't depending on how mm-hmm. you uh how things uh, you know progress yeah. and at the time when we were racing you know when we did the after parties and hanging you know staying at people's houses a lot of people really fed off that uh you know, here's Jason Fernandez oh, here's yeah. him doing something wild and crazy right here's him uh getting kicked out of bars for obscene <laughs> gestures <laughs> well and not only that you mean b- back in the day i probably i i could have probably uh uh bribed a lot of people with things i saw and things i and people could with things i did but i definitely wasn't scared of going out and having a good time but also like you said when it was time to really and i would do, only do that on saturday night uh-huh. and then during the week yeah like you said, I wasn't a slacker. You mean it wasn't like I didn't train? Oh and no, you knew no that, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, no. You put a lot of hard work into it. You know, you would freak out. I remember if we couldn't find a gym or you couldn't ride during the week if we were stuck in like you know some cold weather state and you had to we had to go say Detroit to to Detroit to I don't know wherever St. Louis and it was cold and you know and you were like I gotta ride I gotta ride you know so no you put a lot of work into it for sure you know like if you had if someone had given you a salary flights to and from the race, some sort of ride, you know, for a steady amount of time. Obviously, you got some injuries, but you were not scared to put the work in at all. You can say a lot of things about you, Frenette. You cannot say that you were scared to put the work in. No way. (laughs) 
Well, and that's the thing. I guess uh, what we're talking about before, it's just, you know, certain people really need to have that structure in their life. If it's just somebody, and it's not a bad way of putting it, but you have to have somebody kind of saying this is, even if you're not motivated to train, to have a trainer saying this is what we're doing from point A to point B. Yep. And uh, I just, you know, I mean, I never unfortunately or fortunately ever had that. And you can't look back on time and, yeah, yeah. you know, it is what it is, right? But, uh, you know, um, let me ask you this. Okay. Not that, not that maybe a privateer, because they're not most, maybe not a, all of them are on the road or doing it how I did. Some, some of them are, but is there... Well, out of the privateers, and this is going to be a tough answer for you, Steve. Now, I'm asking you the, the question. Mm-hmm. Privateers right now, name five of them that have kind of that personality that for social, because it's different social media or whatnot, but who are the privateers that actually kind of relate to the normal Joe Blue like I used to because I used to have people help me and there's people like, okay, this guy's doing on his own. He's struggling. He appreciates mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Now, how many handful of privateers? I mean, like I said, I'm a big fan of Adam Antonap and his brother Tyler because yeah. those guys are just, there's the personality so large. So is, is there still a handful of people that um, can kind of relate? No, and it's 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 the seven-deuce-deuce is why he's a good rider, but he's there's a lot of guys that are better than him or, or the same as him that don't have nearly the amount of support because of who he is off the bike. Because, you know, when you have a mixture of guys, um, when you have a mixture of guys that are 20 guys that are basically the same speed, um, you want to help out the guy that has fans and likes people and is good to deal with, and and that's Adam Entignap. It's it's very much like you when you were at, you know, uh, same deal when you were at your peak as a privateer. He he is that guy. I'll tell you what I do see that. I mean, Jason Thomas and I talk about it quite a bit. A lot of these guys for net, they're just happy to get in the main event. Like they are, there's, they must only practice. Six laps at a time, balls out, because that's all they care about. Because once they're in the main, they absolutely cruise, and they're tired. You know, the main events went to 20 minutes now, right? You, you know that. And yep. um, these guys are not in any shape to do 20 minutes fast and, you know, try to get into the top 10 or get close to the top 10. They are just not... They're not in shape to do it, and they have no interest in it. They just want to get in the main event, and that makes me shake my head a little bit where I'm like, come on, guys. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Um, so, anyways, that's just just you know just my own personal observation. But Entignap is, you know, there are some guys that don't like him because of his act. It's not an act, but they think it's an act, and they don't like all the attention he gets and the, the help he receives. And I, I don't say anything back because some of these guys are my friends. But in my mind, I'm like, yeah, well, he's doing the right thing. He's separating himself, offering a sponsor some value for their support, you know, more than just race results. Because what in the heck is the difference between a 14th and a 16th, right? Oh, absolutely. And that's why, like, I'm looking from the outside in and, uh, you know what, I only see what, you know, on TV, if I, you know, on the internet, but like I said, I'm a huge fan of Adam Antonap. Yeah. And one of the things is, is that it, I don't know him one iota, but 
I can see a lot of myself back in the day like yep. like him, you I know? Would, I would agree. I would absolutely agree, for sure. Other, other than, I don't think he pulled... I don't think there's anybody in the 10 years as a privateer that probably pulled as many girls as me. And I'm not bragging right, so i got to have something, Steve. Is that so? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't hang out with those guys anymore because I'm too old now, right? But I would... I no, would, no. But I do talk to no. these guys, and I would agree with that. It was... I mean, have you ever gotten a call about any children that you may not know about? I'm going to have no comment on that. But... but <laughs> 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 but I'm just saying, not the current riders back when we raced as a privateer. No, come you, on, yeah, there no, wasn't too no, many no, yeah. people that jumped on uh, stage with strippers getting kicked out of the bar. No, 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 yeah, and, absolutely, no. When we were around in our day, yes, you you could pull them, and, and sometimes you know, pre Pookie, I could get the the after effects to that. So it, it was fun. Um, so. How sober are we? Like, how how much do you work on your recovery, and and how much do you fear slipping back? And you know, now you hurt yourself, uh, dirt bike riding, and now you kind of don't have that to help you. So now you have some time on your hands. Like, how do you feel about that, or how do you deal with that? Well, it's every it's every day I have to be conscious about it, and I don't. I hope that I never go back to where I was because at one time. I was in a real dark place and uh Really? Like what are, ne- what are we talking? What are we talking about here? Can you tell us? Can you give us like how dark? Dark is in fact when I would never I never lost my job. Uh-huh. I always yeah. progressed, but uh I would I sometimes people couldn't get a hold of me for you know, five days, seven days at a time when I'm on days off. And, uh, would you go to, would you be sleeping or no? Like, would you ever sleep or would you just stay up? Well, the longest, and obviously I'm not proud of this. The longest I was up for five, five days. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. And, and you know what? You're, you're not people in my close circle family and close, like people, close friends, I mean, they would drag me and, you know, beg me. And and it wasn't like I'm partying, but in that mode, and people, listeners that that have gone through personal struggles, you're just in self-hate and you're just in a uh, in a world of, of pain. And it's you're, you're not actually, you're not having a good t- It wasn't like I was going to the clubs every night. I mean, I'm just, sometimes I was, I was by myself and, you know, it was just... Uh, it was real dark times, you know. Wow, that's crazy, man. Well, I'm glad to see you're doing well. I'm pumped. That's awesome. You uh, you sound better, and and you know we've been talking a little bit, and you sound good, and that's awesome to see, no doubt. Um, thanks for sharing that. And yeah, if you yeah, need, well, well, and another thing, Steve, is that you know not to cut you off, but oh yeah, go ahead. Y- you know, p- when you're in your darkest times. That doesn't define who you are. It's how you pick yourself up, brush yourself off, and regain the control of what's going on and and realize that, uh, you know, sometimes when you're not the person that you should be, people that don't know your core soul, mm-hmm. you know, people that really know who you are and, and uh, 
if they saw you at the lowest, they, they, they probably would know where you shouldn't be and where you can be. And, yep. Uh, yep. and you know what? So anybody that's listened to this struggle or anything that's, you know, that they need to work on, I mean, definitely people, you're not alone out there because, um, you know, if you have to reach that point where you're at your low and then you move forward, but it's mm-hmm. how you brush yourself off and how you move forward, you know? Yeah. That's like what Rocky said. It's how you take the punches and keep going. I like that one. Um, and also, too, like we have a bit of an issue down here. You know, Nico Izzy, Austin Stroop, and these guys, they get an injury and they get some pain pills in them, and that that leads you down a dark road as well. You know, that's a starter. A starter for you is getting these pills to heal up. And, and honestly, motocross is so dangerous that – you know, you're going to get hurt. It's not a matter of when, it's if. Or it's not a matter of if, it's when, I should say. And um, you're going to get hurt, and you're going to need these pills to kind of get through things. And, I mean, you know, you, I had them for a back surgery, and once I healed up from my back surgery, I threw the rest of the pills away, and I've never taken one since. But I can see where they get addiction, addicted to, to them. You know, it's a bad deal. It's a bad thing, but I don't know how you fix that. Well, I just think, you know, some people it's built in their program, you know, and if you never ventured into it, if if you have that addictive personality, no matter kind of what you're saying before, if I went to the gym, I was wide open. If I, you know, when I was driving, we just, you know, whatever I did, it, it was a full, full tilt. And, uh, and, uh, and I had my issues with, uh, with the opiates, with the painkillers and, uh, same thing, like you said, doctors, they, they don't mind just throwing you the prescription, you get filled out. And then once you kind of get into that mode and get into what that, uh, that if you're addictive and you get that feeling, which isn't good because I'm off them now, but, uh, you know, it's it's a vicious cycle, and then to get off the pain pills, it's it's a terrible detox. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I uh, I hopefully I'll never have to go through that again. But like you said before, Steve, if you've been down that dark road, mm-hmm. you've got to be really conscious of where it can lead you again because it never goes away from you. It doesn't yep. mean that you're a bad person or not, but you have to know how that could turn and how that could bite you again, you know? Um, let's wrap up the Race Tech Privateer Island Life pod with a couple of funny funny stories or, or anecdotes. Uh, motocross the Nation's time is coming up. Canada's finally got its act back together. Kevin Benoit killed it uh, last year. The year before was a good effort by Fasciati and everybody. Uh, the two years before, I should say. Then the CMA screwed up again, didn't send a team. You went for Canada, what, twice or just once? Just the once, and uh, I will proudly say that we did not make the A, the A the, you know, the, the final. Yep, the A main, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I am proud to say I represent my country, and that was near, I was already peaked on my career and whatnot, but uh, I will say that was the last event at uh, Namur in, in Belgium, the, the famous track, right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you mean that's just something special when you go over there? You know, I've raced. Uh, oh, yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, with with in uh, Germany and and whatnot, and in France and in Australia. But the motocross the nations, it's just you're a Canadian, so you know how I feel about that situation. Canada, since the 
CMA days till now, it just, most of our top riders, either the teams don't want to send them because of the cost or the financial burden, or they don't want to go because maybe not all the top riders are picked. But it's it's a sad thing for me to see over the decade, you know? Yeah, but, but I always tell the story. It wasn't you, but maybe it was Doug DeHaan. One of you guys ended up sleeping under a tailgate at the race, right? Well, no, that was probably Doug DeHaan. But my story, because, like you say, financial financial reasons and doing it right was the one situation. But uh, the uh, CMA had uh, gave us these uh, great accommodations in a hostel. Yep. And so <laughs> there was 20 rooms to two bathrooms and bunk beds, and they also supplied me with a two-year-old uh, bike from uh, Czechoslovakia that uh, was all road stowed. So not only that was, uh, and I'm not like I said, that's one of the proudest moments. I, I've got a lot of real self um, pride things, but yeah. to me, to to get just asked to go, but the uh, yeah, sleeping in a hostel. And then uh, and and getting a couple year old bikes, but yeah, I can see Doug DeHaan's story being all true. Yeah, it was. It was. And hey, how about that track? Was it crazy to race it? Was it just nutty? Well, I still remember the story before Stevan Everts did it back in '82 when Hack and Carlquist pulled over in his final GP when he was winning it. Yep. And grabbing a beer and chugging it and going to the finish yeah, line. Yeah, '88, '88, '88 actually on a Cowie. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, just to see all the things I read as a kid and all the, the historical, I mean, that I don't think there'll be ever another track where you're riding down cobblestone roads via hotels and pubs with mm-hmm. people just cheering. But, uh, yeah, uh, to be... To be there and race Namur, it, it was. Uh, it, it, I definitely have pictures and memories of it that I'll cherish forever. You know. Yeah, good to good to hear for sure. That'd be pretty cool. I wish I would have been there. Um, how's uh? I talked to our buddy JSR the other day for a little bit uh, via text message. Um, are you guys good, or is he still upset about you dating his sister, or is that all good? Are we are we good? The JSR Fernet relationship. You know, I haven't talked to JSR forever. I um. Uh oh. So he's still mad. Heard... You think he's still mad? No, I, I I think that's blown over. Okay. You were kind of you you were there in that whole highlight of of it, and uh, um, you know as as well as me the whole things that transpired in that summer, and and uh, <laughs> you know what, uh, JSR his family are great, but I actually did um. Me and Blair messaged Blair Morgan messaged other other the other day. Oh, and, good, uh, good to hear. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping he was doing good because I hadn't talked to him for a long time, and uh, especially after his injury. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was good to talk, talk to Blair. You know. Yeah, I did too. I I, I put him in touch with a, with a mutual friend. He's going to help out a little bit and just do some advice for some snowcross stuff, hopefully. Uh, and Blair helped me get some hockey guys for my hockey podcast. So. I owe a debt of thanks to to Blair, but we got to fix the JSR for net relationship at some point. At some point, we got to get it. You, well, we 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 need to get in contact with each other and to see see. Yeah, I need to get a final 
if he's closure on this, we need to get closure on that summer of '96 right. and '97. '97 yeah. was wasn't quite as eventful as '96, but '96 right. uh, uh, was uh, it was memorable. That that's for for sure. And then when me and you when you wrenched for me for the weekend, I paid you nothing. a happy meal at McDonald's. Yes. Nothing. You won. You won one class. Got second behind JSR and the other, and you paid me nothing but a McDonald's meal on the way home. Exactly. That's my claim of fame, you know. I was not as good as JSR, but we went to Quebec, and I actually beat him in that one race because he had front flat tires, so I got second in the 125. Yeah. Beat Marco Dubay, which is current national champion, and then I beat uh, JSR via because he had a DNF. But, yeah, uh, yeah you uh, you seen some uh, a lot of uh, emotions going on that summer. <laughs> a lot of emotions. <laughs> a lot of emotions. Um, well, well, hey, uh, thank you for your time on this, Fernet. I really appreciate it. The Race Tech Privateer Island Life Pod. We'll do another one down the road. I want to talk to you about uh, not racing in Canada. You probably could have been Canadian national champion a couple of times or, or, or you know, top three for sure a couple of times. But, you you know, there was different issues and reasons why and and um, why you chose to head down to the U.S. And So let's try to do a part two actually part three if you go back to our original pod uh so save up some stories and think of some things and uh we will uh we'll get together again man thank you for your time on this yeah thank you and i just want to ask you Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden dean matson out of nowhere comes into the scene yes you get him gears you get him a bike he's at 50 years old Uh he's thinking about doing arena cross he's never run four strokes again or before yep what's going on with that situation can you give me an update (laughs) it was very strange he's a nice guy he hit me up he was making a documentary about his career that i watched and it was pretty good uh because it had van halen music on it and he was a hell of a nice guy and chris Kiefer hooked him up with bikes and he had gear from fly and he was going to race some arena cross. And then I think Fernet he got out on a track and was like, wait, maybe I'm not quite ready for pro arena cross. And that was it. Well, and you know what, before I know we got to wrap this up and we just, we've got so many stories via the past and we're always going to be friends for life, Steve, but I'm going to give you a story from my Dean Matson story in mm-hmm. 2000, I was racing the German Supercross series, and we're racing in West Berlin. Mm-hmm. The after party, of, surprise, surprise, I go to the after party, right? Mm-hmm. Matson and his mechanic go there. Somebody steals a big bottle of two six of vodka. Next, you know, in West Berlin, me, Matson, and his mechanic, or his man friend, get thrown out. And I'm just going to say it ended up. <laughs> Going back to this hotel room, and I'm just the, – the listeners can d- use their vivid imagination. <laughs> there were Speedos involved. There was Motley Crue, Show the Devil. And then there was a taxi cab that called the police with sirens going, wah, wah. <laughs> and that's the last the last memory I had of Dean Matson until I heard of that. And so – Oh, um, that's funny. And then uh, um, did you see I did a podcast with Mad Mike? Last week or two weeks ago. Of course I listened to that. And I've got... He... Yeah. Hey, how mellow was he? Because he didn't want to tell any stories, but good God, Fernet, Mad Mike has some stories. 
<laughs> Mad Mike, he's got me outdone. But, I mean, that's for him to tell and uh, for him to share. But and, he was pretty uh, mellow, right? He was pretty mellow. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's, I'm 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 happy that he's doing good. I I heard that he was in a wheelchair, and I heard that it was uh, was permanent. But that was rumor's sake. So yeah. I'm glad that he's back doing you know what he's doing. And uh, yeah, if uh, if Mike Jones would have an uncensored podcast, <laughs> I think you could do a three hour podcast with Mad Mike. And good you God. know what? Good God, you could. But he's a great guy too. He's another person that has. A personality that's either on or off, right? Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, cool, man. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. And, yeah, let's do another one down the road. Privateer Island yeah. Life. Brought to you by Race Tech. The suspension of choice for Jason Fernet in 1989. That's right. Thanks, Steve, for calling me. I really appreciate it. And uh, going back in the glory days. And uh, nice talking to you. Say hi to Pookie for me. All right. Thanks, bud.